Welcome to Truthiverse, the number one podcast for free and discerning minds. I'm your host, Brendan Murphy, author and founder of The Truthiversity. As a freedom hacker and truth addict, it's my job to help you reclaim yourself from illusion and live in your power. Living in truth sets you free to holistically upgrade your entire life so you can explore infinite possibility. Join me as we hack our way to a higher evolution. Hey and welcome. Truth of Us is an audience-supported podcast and an audience-supported Substack as well. You can find me over there on Substack at official Brendan Murphy. And if you enjoy this work, please join the growing body of consciously evolving minds and voyage with us into forgotten and forbidden realms of knowledge. So do hit that like button, share with your fellow seekers, and if you haven't yet, please do consider becoming a paid subscriber, whether it's over on my Substack or through buying me a coffee right here via the podcast. Also, feel free to check out my private evolutionary accelerator, Evolve Yourself, over at evolveyourself.live for the free masterclass. And of course, I do invite you to join me inside the members-only Truthiversity for all premium content, including part two of every podcast. See truthiversity.com for more information. Researching, writing, and podcasting is what I do full-time, so thanks in advance for your support. It does mean a lot to me. All right, welcome to this episode of Truthiverse. This week, it is my pleasure to welcome my good mate, Sam Higgins, who is the author of Visionary, Adventures in Expanded Perception, also the founder of Awaken HQ, also a mentor, a public speaker, and someone very interesting who just happened to start hearing voices back in the year 2007, which is one of many potential qualifications to make it onto this show. <laughs> so, Sam, with, with that said, Sam is one of the most interesting people I know and um, one of the most thought-provoking with the way she sees things and puts things together. So uh, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the show, Sammy. Uh, it's really fun to be here. So grateful you asked. Thanks. It's a pleasure. <laughs> All right, so anyone listening to this is going to be going, come on, ask her about the voices. What's what? What are you talking about? What happened? So, well, let's get the let's get the origin story here. What happened when you started hearing voices? What led to it? Just give us the the genesis story if you can. Well, there's a few versions of the genesis story, and the very first would be the logical one. So, at that time in my life, late twenties, I was using uh, quite a few drugs. I was not sleeping a lot. And I started hearing voices. And for quite a while, I uh, I thought I was imagining it. Like there's people around me, there's conversations happening, people are talking about me. Um, and I thought that was me overhearing conversations. Like I'd be in the supermarket, hear someone calling my name and I'd look and there's no one there. I'd be waking up and there's people calling or talking and, and I'd be in this kind of almost liminal spaces or out of the corner of my ear and, and it was eventually one day I, I was hearing voices talk talk about me in a park in Sydney and uh, hearing people talk about me. At least I thought they were people. And I look around and there's no one, no one in any distance whatsoever. And I was like, holy shit, this is real. There's actually something going on. Um, so that that's that version of it. The higher order version of it would be, I guess I say, I did my Saturn return properly, uh, well and truly properly. <laughs> <laughs> because that voice has activated um, some intense psychosis, um, some varying delusions or very extremely hyper belief states or disconnected to reality. Um, it was a massive personal transformation of who am I? Um, and beyond that, there's this huge awakening of like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is going on? Because this doesn't fit with any of the stories I was ever told. Like I was told... Um, and, and, you know, this is part of the what I, I start to share in the book is where I went into the mental health system and they're like, you're broken, you've damaged your brain, like this is basically little neurons spurting extra data and it's meaningless, um, you know. And so it's this question of 
what what is reality? What is consciousness? Where does this come from and does it have meaning? So that's kind of where it began. <laughs> yeah, yeah, beautiful. And these are these are like the the, the eternal seekers questions, right? This is the the spiritual quest that it seemed to it launched you on it sounds like it launched you into you know the the hero's journey kind of thing yeah for sure for sure <laughs> so okay so definitely a launch <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so it, it you know in in the in the, some of the words i had here you know your words i think shock and confusion gave way to curiosity about the nature of reality you, you said you got curious about that um so can you give us a picture of the early the early phase of hearing voices? You know, you're just acclimating to this. You're wondering what the hell's going on. You've you just figured out that, oh, I can hear voices when there's nobody else here. You know, how does it sort of develop from there? Look, I've worked, uh, I've worked with a lot of voice hearers over the years, and it is a little different for everyone. Like, it is quite personal and unique, but I can talk about how it developed for me. Um, so I would get particularly get voices commenting on different areas of my life. So... Um, my body and how I felt about my body shame. They, they would be, uh, if I was in a relationship or had particular friends or high energy connections, I would hear voices that would be about them or that were them or that were really engaging how I felt about that relationship um, or if I had really big patterns. So at that time it was the drug use. I would hear voices that were around the scenarios of that, um, either pressuring me into more of that kind of behaviour or preying on my fears around it um, or urging me to get and actually take more responsibility for my life. So it was very much centred around my own fears, my, uh, you know, trauma history. That actually came through later when I started getting into more intense. It, it, it tapped on some uh, trauma, trauma and in family type themes uh, but the early um, days were really particularly focused on the surface level of my fears and my current life. So, so it's like, um, uh, yeah. So that that's where it was playing out. Oh, okay. So, so you know, you mentioned like the body shame thing, and so and, and certain other things there. So it sounds like most of what you heard was uh, pretty critical. Would that that be fair to say? Yeah, for sure. And and, and got, I've got to touch on this is like it was critical because that's what got attention mm -hmm. in my system. Like my inner dialogue was critical. You know, I had had a critical mom growing up. Like it, it, was a, it was a language form that actually reached me. So, you know, imagine you're some form of energy or being out there. We will get to some of that later. But you're trying to connect to a person and get their attention. In those early years, you're trying to, you'd be trying to crack through the blocks, the resistance, the numbness, the dissociation of like the the resistance to whatever else is out there. And you would go for very high value attention themes or topics. So people that have, um, you know, intrusive thoughts, I would say is, is, is a comparable experience. People that are seeing flashes of things recurring sometimes can be a comparable experience. It doesn't always have to come through auditory channels. Um, in those early years, it was super auditory. So I would hear it like a sound outside me. Now it's a lot more integrated. It's not like a sound outside me. It is more, uh, uh, it comes through another another channel. It's still words, but it's words with shapes, feelings, sounds combined. And it is more into the, I suppose, I don't like the word psychic because that kind of assumes value. Um, and there's not always that. It's more a 
informational channel that's evolved beyond auditory. Um, and having said that, what I was thinking about in the early years, what else was common, I was just reflecting on it last night, um, is I would hear it in the pulsing of my blood. So if I increased my heart rate, I would hear things louder or if there was white noise, like a hairdryer or a vacuum cleaner going, I would hear a lot more. Like it actually came through certain uh, other sound phenomena, mm -hmm. whether that's internal or external, it would actually um, be more predominant or easier to hear. If I was tapping, even tapping my fingers, um, I could hear voices with the sound or like with the rhythm of the tap. So anything with rhythm um, or that deconstructed white noise would, would make it easier to hear. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. That, I mean, that reminds me of a lot of, uh, you know, like afterlife research where, you know, they're using like white noise or some kind of, they need some mm -hmm. kind of like a background signal in order for the actual, sorry, they need a background noise in order for the actual signal they're looking for to actually come through, uh, which is very similar yeah. to what you just described. Yeah. And like, I wasn't seeking that, but I was seeking like these conversations or words that were coming through the the beings or energies I was connecting with um, were very appealing for me. Like at that time I was quite isolated. I was looking for love and connection and meaning. And so I followed the conversations. I wasn't someone who found it easy to go, no, this is just too weird. Go away. Like I was like, what is this? Who, who is this? Are you real? Like, what's really like, and how do I know who you are? And like, so I followed that into it and I wanted to hear more, even to my own detriment sometimes, like even to my own. And that that's where the psychosis and the altered states and the lack of sleep sort of came through. Um, but yeah, I was looking for ways to be able to connect in here. So what was, I mean, yeah. it's kind of interesting, like what is the moment, can you give us, I don't know, a specific example maybe of that point where your your curiosity takes you just that or took you that one step too far into you know, chaos? Um, for me, it would have been around not sleeping. So the second I would lay down at night, I could, with the peace and calm and like, you know, can um, I would suddenly hear a lot louder and more have the presence to connect deeply. So I could be up all night talking to voices. And there's like when when I say voices, it sounds easy, like a separation of words to words because we map it to communication between people. But there's emotions, there's, you know, the shape or presence of something um, or, or someone like, you know, you know how you can tell when someone's thinking of you and it just or, or you're thinking of someone and it feels like them, like you get a hit of their emotional beingness like mm -hmm. there was beingness in there too so there was emotional hooks there was beingness as well as words mm. um little flashes of images sometimes too so it's this kind of uh and yeah the, the lack of sleep for me has always been the biggest thing like I could go days without sleeping and that was really not good so I mean in terms of hearing voices the really big pattern research shows us the first years is, is often very destabilizing. There's a there's a really rocky adjustment period. So whatever the prognosis is long term, it can really depend on the context, the treatment, how someone relates to it. But the first few years is very destabilizing. And for me, I was at uni studying a master's. I was, you know, dating someone. I was trying to hold down temp temp jobs. Uh, it was quite chaotic um, and 
yeah, so I, I did have psychosis for a few different, like, intense periods, hospital admissions. Um, it's a rocky couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that sort of, you know, it, it's interesting to then, you know, it invites the question of, well, what's, where's the boundary between, you know, sanity and, and insanity? What What is what is madness in your view? What does that look like? Well, how do you define madness or insanity with your experience? Oh, I don't have one answer. I don't have one answer um, because... What we also have is a situation where we're in a world context where half of what's considered normal is actually insane and untrue. Yeah. So so disconnecting from that creates a separation that is isolating, it's disruptive, like that can be its own insanity. Um, if I was looking for one core theme is, is there's a real disconnection to self. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's your addiction into a fantasy, into another reality, into a set of beliefs being true, um, but you lose connection to self and you, you often, as people notice, is you lose connection to the reality around you, but sometimes that reality isn't actually true either. It's just a amalgamation of accepted culture that can be crap too. So, you know, you know that diso- like the... The wobbliness that comes when you start to separate from the group think, there's a bit of that going on is piece of it. And that feels insane. Like anyone who's gone through that questioning pushback against what's considered accepted norms has experienced a variation of that. Um, but it, but that kind of destabilizing eventually should, should. <laughs> we would love it to land into a connected experience of self in that new framework of reality. But, you know, to be honest, most people just go find another dogmatic set of beliefs and go 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 swallow that as their new existence and call yep. that sanity so <laughs> yeah yeah um on that basis i'd say very few people are actually sane <laughs> um so like, as you as you're going through all this you know you said that the first year or so is generally the most rocky was there a moment where i mean in the context of our discussion are there any sort of low points or dark points that are kind of worth pulling on or my next question if not is basically was there like a a major what was the turning point where you started to kind of reconcile and you know work with this in a way that you you could kind of come to peace with it yeah look there's a couple of really big turning points for me and one was in 2010 and I had some intense experiences with the voices that were replaying childhood traumas and it was um quite horrific to experience actually and I realised at that point that where I was using drugs was too destabilising for the experiences I was having. And so I started on the journey of getting clean and tidying up that interference with my life. Um, At that stage, I still had doctors telling me, well, if you get clean, you'll probably stop and then you'll stop breaking your brain and, you know, that kind of aspect of it, which which never happened, Um, which never happened. I never stopped hearing voices. But getting, getting clean and actually removing that intense stressor from my life was a key turning point um but in terms of making sense of the experience because it was rocky for quite a while um one year for some people they only stay in that phase I just want to be clear like some people don't move out of that phase because they go into system that tries to medicate and suppress them and they never come to a place of integration or empowerment around it so um but for me actually I know what I know what would be a, a really big turning point was when I first um, I started encountering more of the hearing voices movement 
um, yeah. and their approach, which is like a looking into the evidence of lived experience of hearing voices, not the medical model of it. Um, and as you know, coming into what people actually experience is always valuable data. Um, and I met a, a psychologist and teacher from the UK, Rufus May, and, and I was there. We were in a workshop. Long story short, um, I was struggling with a voice at the time and I was sharing with some of the others in my chat group of, you know, this voice says he's a demon and he wants to torture me for all eternity. And they're like, you know, they're super freaked out. Like, what do we say to that? They've got no response. And they call Rufus over and he's having a chat with me. And um, and he and I, you know, I share my little line and he goes, oh, well, that'll get your attention. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I'm used to getting sympathy or empathy or you put, you know, like kind of thing. And he's like, he didn't address the content of the voice. He started to look at the why of that behavior. And anyway, so he, he asked me a few questions about what I was experiencing. And I'm like, well, it's, you know, punishing me for this. And it's saying I'm terrible for that and all this kind of stuff, which was around quite small stuff when I think back around moving and health and keeping my space clean and focusing on like study and whatever I was doing, right? And after a while he goes, it seems to me this voice really values order and beauty. And I'm like, what? And I can't actually communicate like the scale of shift it was for me to get out of my own victim, poor me, way of looking at the situation which was so linear in the dialogue with this voice to have someone bring essentially what was NVC, a nonviolent communication approach to go, what are the values that might or needs that might be happening on the other side? And I had never thought of looking at the other side in such a way. And that's the question that actually shifted me out of my own self-centeredness, I suppose, in the experience to go look at it from a more meta-analytical kind of level. And so, so that was huge. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So, so that, I mean, it, it was like sort of like you were conversing with the the demon of order and cleanliness uh, <laughs> after that. But I mean, how did how did it then affect that say that particular voice and your relationship dynamic to it after you had that sort of reframe? After I had that reframe, I started to realize that its communications were its best way of trying to talk to me about certain things. And because I'd trained my system to respond to enemy, to respond to criticism, to, you know, like in my in my communication way I had approached the world, I was valuing um, intensity. Like it wasn't, tr it couldn't serve connection or actually highlight those things. And to be honest, it didn't actually even care about those in the end. It wanted to build relationship. Hmm. It was a being that wanted to build a relationship. And so it's like, you know, going into someone who's not even really open or self-aware and saying, how do we build a bridge? We find things that they care about and then we we add a bit of intensity so that they pay attention and we just focus it on that. And so they'd been dialing that up, hoping it worked without realising how to actually, like, like here's the thing, we, we assume anything that reaches for us must have more self-awareness or less trauma or, or more like than us. And why the fuck would it? Like, so this is the thing of like, and why would a being, just because it's of a different nature or type of existence, necessarily be better at communication than us? Yeah, that's um, a great question. You know, it, it, sort of, it sort of really got me thinking about am I, am I being responsible for my half of the conversation or building connection and relationship in a way that was mutual rather than reacting to what came in? So, 
yeah, it, it shifted. It shifted that. Um, and it was a tool I brought into a lot of different voice conversations. And to be honest, most I stopped, I almost, I reached a point where I stopped reading a lot of what people write and share about it out there. And I just started following my own experience because so much um, is littered with this parad- paradigm of the demonic, mm-hmm. of demons, of evil entities and things out to get us and um, the projection of enemy creates it. Yeah, I think that's a Rather huge point. Than, you know, yeah, like this enemy image is if you look for a bad guy, you'll find one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the story of I'm poor me victimized by this terrible experience like it didn't suit me it didn't work and it didn't actually serve anything valuable in who I was supposed to be so I I started getting curious and and when I could get out of even some of the shock or fright or confusion um of my experiences I could start to unpick them in a different way um and that's when I would say I started connecting with voices that were able to give me higher order perspectives on what was happening. Okay. And so did they, Did you know, for example, that voice, that particular one we were talking about, did that fade away and kind of disappear or did it become part of a larger whole and, you know, a larger ecology? It, it evolved. It evolved into a deeper, more complex being. So there's this one of the things that happened, you might find this interesting, in the early years I would often try and pin identity onto different voices like, oh, this is your name and this is your what you are. And and we do this with people, right? So this is like when I talk about unconscious communication we're doing all the time is like you're this and you're going to be like this and you care about this and then we relate to our identity or perception of someone, like what we've projected on top of them rather than the truth of what's alive. And I would often do this to a voice and I'd try and get, like ask them, you know, what what do you look like and what do you, you know, are you human or not? Like all this kind of stuff. If you're human, what hair colour do you have? And are you an actual person? Are you, you know sitting in some government office spying on me. Like, what is the deal, right? I, I've gone, if there's a rabbit hole or a theory, I've followed it and I've lived inside it like it was true and I've tested it and pushed against it for quite a bit. So um, the loop of that bit is I would I would try and lock them into identity and they would push back. Mm-hmm. They would change their shape. They would say, I don't want to be one name. So they would, they started, it, so the, the, this first, Four, four years or so was very me trying to attach to identity, these very limited conversations. And then after I, I started bringing MVC into it, it started shifting again. This is where they stopped having names. I could feel and identify them by presence, not by, oh, you're so-and-so. Um, and so it shifted into starting to be more, more expansive, into um going off felt senses and intuitive senses rather than the linearity of language or um, the projection of an identity and expectation of, I suppose, continuity. So that voice did change. I actually still hear that one in a way, experience experience more than hear probably. Um, and he was called Harmony and he's not called that exactly anymore. He's not not called that, uh, but he's multiple things. So, Yeah been a long journey with that one (laughs) um yeah that's that's really interesting so i like this because you know we we have a you know as you you're well aware we have a like a judeo-christian uh history and context that is still even even in a secular country like australia 
our reference point and our mental models and schemas of these types of metaphysical things tend to revert or hark back to the simple, you know, the devil versus God and, you know, they've got angels on one side and the demons on the other side. And so, yeah. so it's really, I, I really like to hear your, the way that you've, you've deconstructed all of your experiences and, and managed to, you know, get out of those boxes and transcend all of that because it's going to help other people to do the same thing and move past those sort of simplistic conceptual uh, boxes that we tend to, you know, fall back on. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about it. Um, yeah, anything you want to add before I, you know, keep blabbing on with my next question? Yeah. Yeah, so, so, okay, so I hear people talk about experiences sometimes and they've had almost overwhelming peak states with beings coming in or, you know, connecting to their angels or whatever and it's like a rush and huge heart-cracking bliss and whatever and I'm like, that's not, like, I was getting experiences that felt demonic or terrifying or scary and it's these negative type emotions but it's the same type of thing happening on the positive style like it's still an emotional drug Mm -hmm. and if that bliss peak state is how they get your attention then that's what they're doing but it's it's almost more corruptive of free will sometimes to be overwhelmed by positivity and praise and like that kind of thing than than the negative um you know, we, we have usually some defences against criticism, but overwhelming gushes of love, like we're projecting inherent goodness on something and it's like that's actually you're just being ego-stroked mm-hmm. energetically. <laughs> you know, so so this question of not assuming inherent goodness or badness of things, um, actually being able to work with the complexity of intention. We can have multiplicity in our layers of intention and so can, you know, different energies we connect with. Like it doesn't have to be linear that there are good guys and bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, or that can I evolve and can they? Like, you know, this other thing of assuming something's better than me, different, you know, I, I found that problematic sometimes too of like what if sometimes I'm here teaching them about people rather than I'm here ignorant little human and, you know, uh some other things are going to be wiser. You know, it's it's a, it's a shared reality. Yeah, right. You know, we're you, we're looking at it from two different sides of the of the reality. Like you're here on the physical side, they're in some yeah. non physical <laughs> realm. So yeah, we have something that each 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 party has something or a perspective that the other doesn't quite have, and you know, there's a can be cross cross talk and, and sharing of information and perspective. Um, so it sounds like uh, what was I going to say? It uh, doesn't matter. It'll come back to me. But yes, there is a lot interesting here to unpack. I mean, you have a obviously you've de- developed over time a, a very multi-dimensional way of looking at things. Like for example, in the book, I remember you writing that you experience, um, and these aren't your exact words, but you experience auditory phenomena. You know, different uh, a spectrum of auditory information. Say the same way that someone sees the color spectrum. So. This kind of thing is is really, yeah. Let's just let's maybe you can just talk about about that for a bit. <laughs> um. Oh gosh, there's like two things coming to mind, and one is one is um particularly around hearing voices can be things that are not voices. Mm-hmm. It can be things like um, and, and this is why I use the word expanded perception. It's like this space of receiving and transmitting information that's outside normal perception. Um. And if we're close to it or we think we know what it has to be, 
we actually will only see that or not see that, um, what our expectation. So, so kind of opening to what that incoming is, and it is that it's not necessarily auditory in the way we understand sound. So it can be informational. It can be things like I hear music. Am I hearing it like a ringtone? like a caricature of the song? Am I hearing the actual song? Am I hearing a voice singing the song? So when someone gets a song stuck in their head, what is that? Is that actually them? Is that coming from somewhere else? Is that uh, what's creating? Like I got super curious about this kind of stuff. Um, It would be things like seeing patterns. So seeing patterns and messages and and, uh, omens, if you want to call it that, or seeing odd things in your predictive text or just just um that's another form of receiving these expanded kind of informational sets is it's it's going to come through that um where you'll notice something pop or like it's a normal room but like that glass pops and and you don't know why Uh, but there's a magnetism to things and um so it is it is complex and multi-layered the other bit i want to touch on is that we keep focusing on five senses like physical mm-hmm. senses, and then people get super spiritual or intuitive and then they go five clear senses or whatever. And I think the whole model's bullshit because we don't even have five physical senses. Like, you know, we have our sense of balance, our sense of pain, you know, our what do you, proprioception of being in a body. Um, we, we have um, so many senses that are either interconnected or um, work with belief systems. So, like, your sense of balance is different whether your eyes are open or closed. Like you can center yourself with your eyes open versus eyes closed and it's often different. It's how people realize they've got imbalances in their movement patterns. But um, we also have situations where, you know, like your smell and taste are so connected that if you've got a blocked nose, you can't taste as well. So we don't even understand this supposed five sense model very well. And um, without trying to peg and categorize five expanded in clear senses like I think it's a limit I think there's hundreds of physical uh senses that overlap and interconnect with expanded senses and there's not really any separation or delineation so the way I see maybe I maybe I can access 20 to 30 senses and you can access similar but you access them differently through different belief sets through different fusions between them through you know you've got a synesthesia of a couple where you you can't explain why those things don't separate in terms mm. of your perception, whereas for me they're very different experiences. And so even trying to use the word auditory is is problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what happened after a while was, and this is kind of the third phase of evolution with the voices, so the second phase was like becoming less afraid and actually starting to see beyond the images into different constructs. And the third phase was actually almost I felt like I was getting tr- training <laughs> into receiving expanded communication so it's where I would tr- like they were almost cracking me out of the linearity of language so we talk and we talk one word at a time and some words have complexity and layeredness and meaning but they would be talking to me and every now and then they would send me two or three words at a time I'd ask a question they'd, they'd say three things at once and I'd be like whoa I can't understand that and they're like yeah you can and it's it's to realize how addicted we are to language and the linearity of that being the whole communication, being mm-hmm. the way we think, the way we make sense, the way we receive ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, first 
degrees was in maths. So I do see stuff in shapes, in geometries, in patterns, in relationship and uh, formulas of relationship, I suppose, which, which yeah, kind of. Yeah, there was an interesting comment in the book, which I, I, I was going to write down and I think I don't think I did, but it was something to do with what if we could see something something about what if we could see um, something to do with connection and um, and relationship and your your way of looking at that and the way that you put that together was something, you know, as a way of, of wording it that I hadn't <clears throat> seen anybody else um, use. So, yes, your way of putting reality together is is you know, a source of intrigue for sure. And I think when people get to actually work their way through the the structuring of, of what you've written there in that book, um, it's going to really, it's going to mess with a lot of people, but in a good way, <laughs> in the best way possible. Um, yeah. You were you were told at one point, well, I think we're going to circle back to some of this stuff and be a bit uh, iterative with this, but I just want to go back to okay. some of your experience with the medical system because it still leaves a lot to be desired and you've seen you've been in there in inside of it you've seen and worked with people and you were actually told to go on disability pension at one point don't worry about ever working again you know like you're just broken this kind of mentality um do you think things have shifted much since then um again so this happens it's like i hear three ideas at once it's sort of like okay let's put those in order um (laughs) The first thing I'll say is it's a double it's a double-sided coin. You know, I have the blessing to live in a country that does actually offer support for people in times of extreme intensity, chaos, when really the focus should be on healing, you know, self uh reflection, inner growth type work. Okay. So that's that's actually it, it it's not a problem. I'm not I'm not complaining that I live in a in a country that has that level of support for people yeah. if they need it, right? That's actually a gift and there's definitely times where that was needed. Um, What is the challenge is the prognosis um, that you can expect this essentially for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So that was the the thing that was problematic for me is is the way our our mental health systems engage with risk and um, not wanting to give people too positive an outlook because that's risky um, and might interfere with their choices right now or that um, we want to protect people from entering new relationships or, um, you know, uni or starting new jobs when we are worried that they can't handle it rather than engaging more proactively with skills around coping and risk management, self-awareness. We have a very protective paternalist default setting. Yeah. Um, you know, and and with most of the solution is we'll get the meds right. Yeah. Like, like, do you know what I mean? Like that's when we get your medication right. I'm like, okay, cool. So how long am I supposed to be on this? Um, it's like, oh, well, we'd start with about five years of stability and then we'd reconsider. So, you know, that's a whole rabbit hole of actually navigating that. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't manage five years, but uh, that's a whole different tangent conversation. Um, but in those times when you're really destabilised, mental health professionals, doctors have extreme levels of power um, in how we assume they're going to have answers for this. And and the truth is, is they don't have answers. You know, it's not that, that there's no expertise. It's not that there's no skills. It's just that beyond, um, I suppose, extreme states where we need essentially calming and 
putting into a cotton wool box to protect ourselves and other people. And those states do happen um, for myself and others. Um, I'm not going to avoid the reality of that extreme of mental health situations. But in terms of recovery, the, the conversation is getting better, but it's it's better than it was when I was going through it. Our systems are in a massive evolution and, and systemic change takes a long time. Yeah. Like if you go back 100 years, I would have been basically almost locked up in a cell. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like almost dungeon-type cell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so, yeah, I mean, outcomes, prognosis are changing, but the conversation around recovery it is usually a lot slower. And having said that, system the systems are in growth. They usually just feel like they're about 20-odd years behind what we know is possible. Mm, yeah. Uh, I will add the the level of medication use is I've always ex- found that fairly problematic inside the system. Um, the, the reliance and on I it? Used to, the reliance on it as the thing to get right. Um, yeah. because, you know, I've had very comparable experiences on medication and without medication. Like it wasn't, even if a medication can help you, it won't protect you from every uh, challenging experience that, or symptom or uh, situation you're in. So you still need to have the skills to navigate that. Like it doesn't save you. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, it won't save you. Even if it's helpful, it won't save you. And I don't like the reliance on it as the long-term answer. So the other, there was another bit in there. What I found most heartbreaking working in the system is sometimes we would run, I would, I would help run trainings to train new staff in the health system on recovery. And we, I remember we would t- we'd share these studies around, you know, the recovery rate from schizophrenia. And there were so many long-term studies, 20 year plus, that showed over a 20 year time frame, at least 50% of people with schizophrenia recover fully, like clinical level recovery, not even personal recovery, I feel good, but I manage my symptoms however I manage them, full clinical recovery. And we would give these trainings and there's multiple long-term studies where they stopped shifting from, they actually stopped studying it because it was people can recover. They stopped studying that and they started saying what helps, right? That's not the message we get through our mainstream media. It's not the message that doctors, nurses get. I remember giving a training and a nurse came up and we shared this piece that recovery is possible. Here's the evidence. Here's <laughs> all the studies. And a nurse came up to me at the very end and she was crying because she said, my cousin has been diagnosed with schizophrenia and I never even knew that he could get better. Wow, yeah. Like they don't know. It's not part of like the <clears throat> the frame I would I would take on it is I would say it's been so co-opted by this reliance on medication as the answer that actually the conversation of recovery isn't even included. Hmm. As a cultural norm, inside the systems as a default setting that no these people can all get better and you know when we look at people with the belief that they can heal they can grow they can uh, navigate to have exactly the life they want they're not they're not broken or forever wounded um there's going to be work in there around healing or you know trauma or learning to learning skills they never had around relationships coping whatever it is um but this isn't the end yeah right I like your line, actually. You had a line there that went something like, you know, what if we thought of, um, you know, insanity or psychosis or whatever the word was that you used, what if we thought of it as a fever of the mind? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's one of my favourite quotes is, uh, I think it was, I think I put it in the book, but the uh, Jeanette Winters maybe. But, yeah, it's like going mad is part of a process. It's not meant to be the end result. Exactly. That was it. Yep. And that was, I thought that was a great, a great quote as well. Yeah. 
And, and to be honest, this is where, like, my journey through the mental health system, like, I just want to, for anyone who's in that, it's to not eject unthinkingly. Like, be part of the conversations but bring your power back into how you relate to them because it can be a helpful part for a journey of the journey and the support system for someone who doesn't necessarily have family or friends who have those or mentors who have those skills or capacities or can teach those skills like a lot of people don't come from places or contexts or families where they have the ability to help them navigate what they're what they're experiencing and and google search is not a good answer um, when you're not feeling well or dealing with a difficult experience because often what will come up is the worst things around your fears. Yeah. At least that's what you're fixing up. Like your search engine will meet the Google search engine and you'll you'll find lots of very scary things. But some of it's like you need to be able to sit with your emotions. Mm -hmm. You need to learn more mindfulness or self-presence or you need to um, develop skills around goal setting. Some of it's not sexy. Like and people want to chase the like big sexy healing or suddenly I'm a psychic. It's like, mate, you also need a bit of discernment in there. Like, mm-hmm. who are you and how do you say no before you start talking about are you psychic? You know, and and just swallowing everything that comes in like it's automatically true. Right. Yeah, and that sort of relates into this culture we have in the like I guess you call it like the new age realm or whatever, where you know it's kind of a trendy thing to call yourself an empath, right? Like. Oh, you know, I'm so overwhelmed by everybody else's emotions and feelings constantly. I'm an empath, that, that sort of thinking. Whereas, you know, maybe, you know, it's more what some people might need to, you know, consider what you were just saying about developing certain skill sets or coping mechanisms or different ways of relating to other humans as opposed to, you know, slapping this sort of fuzzy, you know, feel good label on it and bypassing some of the, the work they might need doing. Yeah. Yes. And it's a, so empathic empathy and empathic communication is multi-layered. There's the physicality of what do we communicate inside our relationships, how, you know, what, we, what you're talking about, some of this clean-up around self, how worthy of, am I of having what I want, asking for what I need, saying no, setting boundaries. And we do have these energetic layers where we do feel other people's emotions and there is an interference with that. And, and, and the question becomes, like, um, when I feel emotional communications, am I entangled with that? Am I oblivious to that? Am I enmeshed in that? Um, like this comes through. So, so one of the bits I I got, um, and I, I do I get it from watching humans with kids when they have kids, right? And the kids come through completely enmeshed with the mum. Sometimes the dad too, but like they they actually the energy field thinks the mum's field is their field yeah, because yeah. that's where they were and that was truth. So so enmeshment is normal and there's this process of individuation where we learn to separate and consciously do that. Um, well, most people don't actually, we don't consciously learn to do that. And so we live with a default setting that somewhere between enmeshment, abandonment, are uh, hooked into our family or if we're, you know, adopted or had, you know, issues growing up, whoever was around with the wounds around family. And, and that that becomes our default setting for how we relate to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's like hilarious. How do I turn that off? <laughs> we may not be able to turn that off. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that's funny. We interrupt um, this broadcast. <laughs> we interrupt this broadcast with all kinds of binging. Um, <laughs> but, but, like, you know how, okay, we, we learn how to walk, right, usually, how to move and walk by modelling, uh, by positive encouragement, uh, hopefully, and then, we you know, we learn how to talk. Right, we learn how to eat and chop up food with knives and forks and read and write and all these things, and we're taught this. We're not taught. I mean, we're starting to see emotional intelligence and literacy come through, being proactively taught, understanding what an emotion is, that it's okay to cry, to sit with it, or when we're angry, how to express that without punching all the other little kids, stealing their stuff and breaking it. Like you, know, like we're attempting to develop training around that. We have none around energetic uh, selfness or um, how how do we relate to our energetic skills or intuition or uh, any of those empathic type abilities. There's there's not we're not trained on it. Mm. We can we can look there quite logically and go no this is happening, but no one ever gets taught how to do it. Mm-hmm. And we wonder why people struggle. It's like well, this is a skill set. Right. And yeah, very uh, layer. There's layers to that, as you said, you know, because all the connections with your family, your, your conditioning, your blah, blah, blah. And then you got to navigate the world through all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I found it interesting when you, and this, you know, this comes back to some of the other stuff you've mentioned. You, you, you discovered at the heart of your voices, the different voices you found innocence at their heart. Can you, can you elaborate on that for us? Yeah. Um, not always, not always. Okay, right. For the most part, for the most part. So, so okay, I'll I'll, sh- I'll share a story. This one is not in the book. Uh, but I was experiencing in some of the early years into that second phase, I would experience or think um, it felt like these beings that were alien would come in and uh, operate body. They would do stuff and I could feel it physically. I was often quite scared. I would try to communicate that with them and I would feel just powerless, right? So so I've I've read quite, I don't go into it because I don't need the drama and the stories around it, but for a while I thought that was an alien type experience, okay? When I was in this second phase of like stop assuming bad guys and start trying to make sense of what's happening, um, I had this moment and it was on a weekend when my mum was actually having a knee surgery and the same experience started happening except I was my mum and I could feel all this stuff happening around my knee. And what I started to wonder and explore, and this played out through future you know, experiences too, but a lot of those times had been essentially soul fragments from in a surgery, terrified, shocked, feeling powerless. Because like, when we go... Um, into a general anesthetic, part of us stays awake. We know that in the body and the consciousness, part of you is still awake, even though your conscious mind isn't. And that is very traumatic because you're suddenly powerless, you're being harmed. You've got people with all their faces covered up that don't speak to you, you know, that that are very uh, cold in the feeling, very clinical, um, and stuff is done to you. And and that's that's a key moment for software if you want to go, I suppose, a more shamanic take on it. And what I was connecting to, picking up or gathering in my body was some of these soul fragments. Mm-hmm. And so these experiences of, of coming in or whatever happening to me was my trying to resolve the challenge of 
resolve the trauma of those fragments. Like I think everything is seeking healing. I think it's seeking wholeness. And and rather than going into a victim of this is bad, this thing's in my body because I'm bad and I'm unclean and I need to be cleaned and purified and all this is like what if there is a higher order intelligence happening? What if I'm meant to have this experience? Sometimes for my benefit, but sometimes because I'm willing to offer that. Like we we're more entangled by the way we love than by the way we uh, are afraid or terrified. And so at higher orders of self, we are love. We are service. We want to support healing. Like why wouldn't, like at a, at a higher order intelligence, why wouldn't you say yes to try and resolve the trauma of another if you could? Like like the soul says yes to that. Mm. It's like right. I don't, I don't, I don't care. Like, and you know, I don't, I don't care about your human take on it. This matters. Um, this piece of existence uh, is lost. And when we look at those things where where we have soul fragments, and, and like we're living in a reality essentially surrounded by that. Most of us are living in a body that is is fragmented, and it is got lots of whether it's. Um, uh, cuts or gaps or fragments in you know as you know through the different uh, energetic bodies be- and and it's not necessarily stuff coming from the outside it's actually uh, ejection from the inside because we couldn't deal with with what was going on around us um but every time i've encountered fragments like that they'll often come in they'll be quite because ter- now now i'm at a different level with it uh, back then i didn't have a process or a meta response to what was happening i was just almost immersed inside it and taken over within the story of it whereas now i something comes in i kind of know what it needs and i send it off to go get that i don't really run it through my body or my energy system anymore um, but for the most part those soul fragments ejected because of they loved the being they were part of like they were trying to save it protect it or take a bit of intensity that couldn't be managed and leave so they're fueled by love. Mm. They're fueled by innocence. There's an innocence to I'll take the bad bits and go so you'll be safe. Like mm. that's protection. And so when you can meet something in that, and yet it's it's disconnected from the main being, so it's vulnerable, it's fragile, it actually doesn't have access to higher orders of intelligence or soul or, or um, in the same way that the wholeness of the being does, the core being. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. is... It's it's more like a child in yeah. its level of capacity. Even if it sounds snarky, or if it sounds like that's a, a guise of behaviour, or if it sounds very aggressive. Mm. So a lot of um, uh, um, aggressive behaviours are because it's modelling the behaviour in the trauma moment. So I've seen multiple fragments where they're doing that. It's from an abuse situation, and they'll be. I need to model the energy of the abuser to actually like that's that's part of the order of that package of a fragment and so it repeats it and yet that's not what it is it's not where it belongs in the world and so I think of them more like children in a way um, those kind of layers of energy yeah no this, they, need to, they need to be taken back home like like my soul wouldn't leave a bunch of screaming even if they're annoying as fuck tantrum you know children on like toddlers on the street go away, my my being is sealed. Like, it's like, nah, mate, like, here we go. We'll figure out where you go. You can you can hang with me until we find a better place for you, uh, you know, and, and sort of that's what we're doing at, at, at these energetic layers. Um, what, do you, what is it, I mean? That's not the only, yeah, no, sorry, go on. Okay. 
as I said, that's not the only thing that's out there, but it's such a big piece of our world that of what's happening energetically and the debris we pick up. So yeah, and then yeah. Yeah, then we interpret it as oh my god, I'm being attacked by demons or or something like this or aliens or, or whatever. Actually, the the comments you were making around that whole surg- surgical theme and and um you know the shamanic aspect to it, you know, remind, reminds me a lot of. Um, different types of, you know, experiences that are in the literature of people, you know, describing it as, oh, I was taken up into a craft or I found myself on a table in a craft and there were these weird creatures there and and the menagerie of all these endless different types of beings and creatures that show up in these, you know, in- environments, you know, to do a, a surgery or to do some kind of examination or whatever. Um, and I think your, your take on it is... Um, is definitely useful and again helps to you know challenge the the simple sort of narrative like the sort of weird star wars astral star wars narrative that we've got going about good guys and bad guys and well this this alien group and this faction and, and it's like well the shamanic angle challenges that and i think you're you're what you're saying complements that really really well um and when you talk about you know you you are say so you're hearing one of these voices and you're communicating with it and it's it is one of these sort of child fragments you know so to speak um, and in the book you mentioned you you figured out how to kind of like triage them and you know take, send them where they needed to go type thing. What does that look like? Um, you know, because the way you put it a second ago made it sound a little bit like just in passing, uh, like you're not necessarily um, welcoming it back in, so to speak. But but what what are you actually doing? Like just flesh that out a little bit because it's about integration, right? Yeah, I mean, look, if I find my my energy field comes across an energy field that is vulnerable or let's say it, like it doesn't belong with me like we've got to think about where does that actually belong in yep. terms of and this is going to come down to your cosmology and your sense of you know how the world works and what reality is but for and, and, and like I don't I don't I'm not going to sit here and say I have the answers here's my answer go follow my correct answer because I, I don't think we're anywhere close to anyone having the answer I like give us give us a thousand years thriving expandedness in pushing the edge of who we are in this new immersion of technology like actually world speed literate communication and collaboration on on ideas then let's see where we're at in terms of having answers um but but what i'm looking at is do you have a worldview framework that actually supports healing and wholeness and thriving or do you have one where you're essentially victimized and powerless and 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 everything's out to get you because for me one big step was learning to trust and build a relationship with my higher orders of self that have an intelligent design that have an intelligent process and i call, i call this like whether we think of i don't care about how you label all the metaphysical layers if you don't have a relationship with the layers but you know eventually up there there's like an infinite spark of soul or self that's connected to everything divine and in between this concludes part one of the show you'll find part two and related materials in my members only portal the truthversity the consciousness raising university this creation is the official home for all my multimedia research and entertainment content updated regularly my members get access to absolutely everything i create including full podcasts videos blogs courses audio files live internal events the whole enchilada grab yourself a free 24-hour pass at access.truthversity.com